Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week, four to six of us get together and discuss a movie. At the end of the episode, we announce the movie for the following week. All movies are available from streaming services, either as part of your subscription or to rent. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Josh Dean. Young. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Roland. Hey! And today we're discussing the 2018 movie Burning, which was Nathan's suggestion. But first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Josh, what have you been watching lately? Nice. Uh, well, I... Took a magical trip back in time yesterday. Uh, some friends and I coordinated watching Flight of the Navigator at the same time, mm. um, which I have not seen since. I wasn't sure I'd ever seen it, but rewatching it, as soon as I heard Pee Wee Herman's voice coming out of a spaceship, I was like, yep, yep, I saw that. I saw that when I was a kid. Um, I think I saw so, it in the theater uh, when I was a kid. Oh, and really? that's the only time I've seen it. It uh, it's a weird movie. It's uh, oddly um, sad for the first like forty five minutes. Yeah, um, but uh, good. It was pretty good. Uh, Pee Wee's performance sort of, or Paul Rubens, excuse me, performance sort of grates on the nerves a little bit. But um, that's kind of his whole shtick. So yeah. Well, and that was before Pee Wee too, right? Or at least before Big Adventure and. Yes, before the, the movies, show. but he was already doing that character. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was uh, doing that way back in Cheech and Chong movies. Yeah. Um, and that's one that I think got heavy play like on repeat when I was a kid, like on HBO. So I think I've probably seen that probably three dozen times easy. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, like super oh, yeah. early role. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a computer named Ralph. I feel like I've seen it, but I don't really recall. Now that you're saying the computer named Ralph, I don't know why. It just it's not popping out to me, but it sounds fun. Sure, it's it's a good time. You should check it out. <laughs> got Disney Plus. Somewhere between Mac and Me and E.T. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Maybe closer to the Mac and Me. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Zach, what have you been watching? Um, so the sitch, uh, whoa, the, I can't speak right now. The Shits Creek finale, uh, just happened, uh, whenever this recording's coming out, it's probably been like months. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, last finished year. watching, <laughs> yeah, finished watching Shits Creek and then watched the documentary about the making of the show, which was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's a great show. I highly recommend that show if, if people are looking for something fun and light um, and easy. I love that they ended it on their own terms, six seasons, um, and yeah, it was great. Um, other than that, um, I don't know. I've been playing more video games uh, lately than I've been watching stuff, um, just trying to crush through some God of War. Um, so I've been watching that story, you know, if you, if you are into the stories of the video games. Um, but, uh, I don't think I've seen, oh, oh, I don't think I talked about this yet. So we watched aliens, the sequel. Remember yeah. how my wife and I were? Well, yes. And so last time man. we talked, we were, you were, you'd only seen alien with her. 
Right. And so then we watched Aliens and uh and she was done about 10 minutes in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um I mean she got through it, but um yeah, she's like I definitely don't need to watch any more of these. Um and I just I loved it. I had a, f- a fun time. I mean it was my number one. I watched it probably when I was you know, 10 years old. And it's the first one that I watched. And I mean, I think it's why I love James Cameron's works so much is just because of like being exposed to that at an early age and, and like his style. The one thing my wife pointed out is that it does not hold up in terms of, um, what people were saying to each other. I mean, it's such a bro situation. I mean, of course, Bill Paxton and the way he acts, uh, but the famous um, game over, man, game over. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, hot tip. Um, I mean, I know we teased you last time about <laughs> um, trying to drag her through Alien 3 and Resurrection, but uh, if if that's her response to Aliens, don't get her anywhere near Resurrection. <laughs> resurrection <laughs> is like all of that on steroids. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also the grossest one. So, excellent. Well, I'll report back on my own findings, but I don't think she'll be uh, putting much input into the rest of these alien films. <laughs> Fun connection: Veronica Cartwright, who is in Aliens, plays the mom in Flight of the Navigator. I thought you were going to say she plays hey. the mom in uh, Burning. It's like the hell? <laughs> How's that possible? What a twist! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Aaron, how about you? Man, I've been going back and watching like trash martial art films. Uh, watched the classic American Samurai with David Bradley. Ooh. Uh, so bad, but uh, I, I love movies like that. Like I watched the entire Best of the Best series. Oh, it was great. Have you seen The Perfect Weapon? Perfect Weapon. I am almost certain I have. With uh, Jeff Speakman? Oh, definitely. That movie is amazing. (laughs) They play the power by snap like every 15 minutes in that movie. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Saw it in the theater. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I I actually really enjoyed the best of the best movies, but um, it's, it's insane. They actually released a fourth best of the best movie called best of the best without warning that is enemy of the state uh the will smith movie but with with the character from best of the best it's it's the strangest thing (laughs) yeah any fun connections there josh (laughs) no eric roberts was in the first two i mean In fact, Paul Rubens knows martial arts. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And now- Nathan, what have you been watching? Uh, you know, we're always on our quest to get through all of our uh, Criterion collection, and one of the things we've got in our collection is the BBS uh, series. So the BBS has got, uh, it's like nine, six movies here. It's got Easy Rider, Last Picture Show, uh, five easy pieces and a few others. Uh, the monkeys movie head is in it. I haven't watched that one yet. Uh, the, <laughs> the one the, and they're kind of characterized. All these movies are kind of characterized by their early attempt at like counterculture type movies coming out of the very late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. Um, so they were kind of on the, the crest of that wave 
Um, so the one we watched last night, and actually kind of took a couple nights to get through it because we tend to start movies too late, is uh, The King of Marvin Gardens, which has got uh, Jack Nicholson and Bruce Dern and uh, Ellen Burstyn, who, quite frankly, I kept thinking that I was watching The Exorcist on the side. But yeah, um, <clears throat> it's a it's a kooky movie. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I loved it, but I, I, I can't say I'm disappointed that I watched it. It had a lot of uh, really, really weird things going on on the screen. I, that's what I would say. It was, it was interesting. Have you seen Head before? No, I think of this set here, it's probably the most obvious next step for me because I've seen... Because <laughs> there's two movies, Drive, he said, in a safe place that apparently are so insignificant they threw them on the same disc. Yeah. Um, but the rest I had seen, so that's the next one. So Head, I saw when I was a teenager, kind of during... The Monkees had that weird revival in the late 80s, early 90s. Thank I, you, Nick at Night. And I, <laughs> I, saw, I saw the movie then and didn't know what to do with it. And then... I thought it might be a good one for us to do with Cinemasochists and, and riff it and make fun of it. And so I watched it again kind of from that perspective of like, you know, here's a band literally committing career suicide on film because that's what that movie is. Like, that's really what they were trying to do. And uh, it's t- it's so punchy and so uh, <clears throat> it's it's very much like kind of like you could say that it has kind of the same inspiration as like Sesame Street or early MTV where everything is just a series of vignettes and they kind of tie together, but not really. Um, But the connection to the other stuff you're watching is that Jack Nicholson wrote the screenplay for head. Right. And he was like an unknown quantity at that point. Didn't Bob Raffleson direct it too? Yeah, I, that's the whole BBS thing. I think it's the same group of basically writers and directors that kind of created these films. And it's uh, it's well made, but it's it's bizarre as hell. But for a movie by like, if you're expecting the monkeys version of a Hard Day's Night, like no, <laughs> <laughs> that is not what it is. It's it's probably a little. I, I imagine it's a little bit more like the last uh, ten minutes in New Orleans when they're on Easy Rider. Uh, when they're tripping out crazy balls That's for about not 10 minutes. In- accurate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very strange movie. Um, but it has its moments. Um, it has its, its no moments as well. Um, it, it's just kind of all over the place. Um, I've been watching the wire um, again, which I had, marathon that a long time ago and i've talked about a couple of times i think how um i haven't watched it since they remastered it in hd and that's been really nice to be able to see everything as clear as you can and um watch that on hbo now i watched the first episode of the wire because my wife implored me to check it out um i watched it a while ago and i enjoyed it i just haven't continued forth but i mean we have hbo go so we can i can watch it anytime but um, the thing with the wire is that um people compare it to being or they call it novelistic so if if you miss something 
They are never going to give you a flashback. There's never a previously on the wire. You got to be on top of it as far as your uh, attention goes. And um, so that's not one like you could go back and just start from the second episode if you watched it a while back. Like you've got to dig in and understand that pilot. The other thing that the wire does that people are kind of disappointed by the first time through if they don't know about it is that it's almost an anthology series. The first series is, or the first season is all about um, the drug business, basically, in Baltimore. And then the second season is much more about the dock workers union. So some of the same characters carry over, like some of the police characters are in each each and every season, but they're in different roles and capacities. Um, there's a season about the education system. One of the one of the police officers like quits his job at the police and becomes the teacher, and you follow that for a season. So it's it's really strange, but it's one of those things where there's a lot of people I know that watched the first season of The Wire and watched the first episode of season two and was like. I'm not interested in this anymore because this first se- first episode of season two is like a pilot for a whole new show. And it takes a while before it starts feeling like the wire again. So oh, that's good to know. Cause I'll probably then have to go back and watch the first episode. Uh, just, just now knowing that I feel like that's very similar to lost. Like I haven't finished the last season of lost yet, but I'm so lost every time I go back to watch it, even though they do it previously on, I'm still like, when did that happen? <laughs> like, I just, it's a fine show. I, I, I get why people were Is so it? into it at the time. <laughs> I, it, I mean, my <laughs> wife loves it, and, I, and, I, and I'm glad that I watched it. I still haven't finished it, but I mean, I think that speaks to it. It's like I wasn't that engaged enough to finish it quickly. Uh, so, I don't know. It's not it's like fine. there's a great ending you're rushing towards. Yeah. <laughs> I already know the ending. It's like Dexter. I, I loved <laughs> the first two seasons of Lost, and then from that point, it was just straight downhill. Season four was pretty good. I I, I will defend season four, the time travel season. I enjoyed that one a lot. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that's when I started going oh, they're just redoing it, but in the 70s. Like, they literally just redid the first season, but in the 70s. It's got, like, my favorite episodes in that season, so I, I can't say anything. <laughs> yeah, and those are the people that are in charge of all of the CBS All Access Star Trek shows now. It's like, yeah, this isn't going well, is it? <laughs> Lost was a, a good series that kind of benefited from the ability to watch it in sequence um, as opposed to like waiting every week or even nine months for the next season to start. Cause I never watched it when it was on TV and I heard so many people complain about it. By the time I got to it, it had been long gone. I hadn't had no real clue about what it was or what it was going to end up being at the end. I pretty much enjoyed the whole thing. I, I do think it got wacky towards the later seasons, but um I was okay with that just because it was like popcorn. Well, I feel that way about The Wire. Like, watching it for a second time is helpful because, like, the major beats I remember. And so I'm not, I'm not like, you know, paying as much attention to those. But because of, you know, like I said, where they'll do a cold open and something massive will happen. And if you walk out and get a soda and come back and the, you know, opening credits are rolling and you missed that, 
they're not going back. They're not going to show it again. And so that's one that benefits from, you know, watching a few episodes at a time, you know, in a stretch and not going too, too long between sessions of watching it. My best friend, one of my best friends is showing her boyfriend uh, the wire or actually, sorry, strike that reverse it. One of my best friends, boyfriends is showing her the wire for the first yeah. time. And, uh, she is a comedy person and she can only tolerate one episode per month. Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she is not going to get the benefit of the wire at all. Um, so even if she forces her way all the way through, I think she's going to hate that. Show. That's going to take her Just five her- years. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 60 episodes. <laughs> just have her watch the the five minute fuck scene like on se- she's episode already two or it. three you know yeah. the one i'm talking about where they they go through I know the crime scene <laughs> yeah i'm not talking about a fucking scene like the fuck right. quote the unquote fuck all scene. fuck yeah all yeah. fuck just have her watch that skip the rest of the series she'll be fine she'll get the idea yeah <laughs> zach's yeah zach's well, like what yeah <laughs> Hey, we did a whole podcast like this with Zach. He's used to it. <laughs> <laughs> the things he doesn't know. Uh, well, we uh, we watched a movie. Uh, Nathan suggested it. It was called Burning. It is a Korean film from 2018. Um, I'd heard a little bit about it before, but I had not seen it before. Had any of us beyond Nathan seen it before? I had not. Yeah. yeah. So, n- nope. Uh, First time. Aaron, let's start with you. What'd you think of it? Man, I absolutely loved this movie. Like, start to finish, it was a, just a perfect slow burn. And by the end, I, I I asked on our on our Discord earlier or on our group earlier, like who who did this because I needed to talk about it immediately. Like there was just so much that I, I I needed to unpack from this. Like, yeah, I saw you post that, and I was like, um, it doesn't matter because you're not allowed to talk about it until the recording starts. <laughs> oh my god! Like it hurts so bad. I needed to talk. I'm like, why is this happening? I'm at work. This is stupid. I need to talk about this movie instead. Um, I I thought, um. Oh, what's his name? Steven Steven Yoon? Yoon, yeah. Uh, he he did such an amazing job as Ben. Like, I could not get a read on this guy at all. And the the murky territory that the movie takes you into, it just made it even worse. Like, and by the end of the movie, you're like, well, why did that happen? Like, is is this person bad, or or is the protagonist just crazy? Like, what is happening? I watched it twice. Like, it's just so good. <laughs> you had an extra five hours to right. watch Burning twice. I mean, that's I'm not that that's not hyperbolic. It's two hours and thirty eight minutes long. Well, I, I had a I had a doctor's appointment that ended up getting canceled, so I just took the time and watched the movie again. <laughs> How long are your doctor's appointments? <laughs> Oddly enough, he was complaining about burning, so 
Oh. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> Zach, how about you? First impression, what'd you think of it? Um, the opposite of Aaron, Boo. as per usual. <laughs> um, I've said this before, but I struggle with international films. Um, and I struggled with this one. I almost turned it off at one point. I just I couldn't uh, really get through it. It was tough for me. Um, I came out of it not really any different than I started. And um, yeah, I mean, like, I'll talk about it, but I would never watch it a second time in a second sitting, uh, despite the burning sensations that I'm having. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like. So you got burned on this one? Oh, I think I did. <laughs> They're um, just so easy. Again, I'm never, <laughs> yeah, for this one, I'm never disappointed in like people recommending movies to watch because, like, I, I, you know, I, I like to engage in this kind of discourse and and watch uh, art, especially of, of different cultures and different countries. Um, even though, like I said, I, I it, for me it's sometimes a struggle. But I think like there was some sort of disconnect. I think even from this, I just kept thinking I was watching Parasite, but nothing was happening. <laughs> um, so. That's that was my take on it. I'm glad ever other people enjoyed it though. It'll probably make for a better discussion than what I brought to the table. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, when we get to Nathan, I think we'll talk about this a little bit more. But um, I I do think part of the reason for it being suggested was uh, some of the talk we had about Parasite earlier, and this also being a South Korean film and that sort of thing. Josh, how about you? Oh, man. Uh, I loved it. I wasn't sure when I first started it uh, if I was going to get into it. But, yeah, by the end, I was with Aaron. I, I was completely sold. And I wanted to talk about it so badly. And when I found out I'd watched the wrong movie for the wrong podcast, <laughs> I was so angry. I was like, I've got to wait four more days to talk about this. Um, <laughs> yeah, Josh watched it on yeah. Saturday. Yes. So... <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've been I've been sitting on this for a while, but uh, yeah, no the, uh, the performances, the the writing, the um, just the whole concept of it, um, just it's been haunting me, and I keep thinking about it, and I think about different scenes, and I think about dialogue that cancels out other dialogue, and um, quantum physics, and uh, William Faulkner, and yeah, yeah, I just uh, my brain's still on overload for this movie. And I loved it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, in general, I enjoyed the movie. I think um, somewhere in the middle, I I got a bit lost. And I don't know if it's that I missed something because I was doing something else at the for a minute. And when I came back, I was not sure what was happening. But by the time I, by the time I kind of caught back up, I kind of figured what was going on again. Um, it's long, it's slow burning. Um, that's the, <laughs> that's the, the top, uh, category for it on Netflix is slow burn. <laughs> it's like the category that people, uh, most assign with this movie. Um, I don't think it's, it, the slowness of it is bad. I think the way that they develop things, um, is, is really great. I think again, like, if you're going to do a slow burn movie, you have to have a really good central performance. And this has a really good central performance. Um, the, the, the Ben character, um, 
I think is supposed to be kind of a cipher. You're supposed to kind of not be able to figure out what the hell's going on with him. Um, but I think that's also a distraction from uh, how much you can really trust the, the actual protagonist of the movie. Um, that there are some things that they are very unsubtly implying about him uh, as things go on. That that there's there's more going on with him than than he's letting you know. And because it's from his point of view, because it's from his perspective, he is omitting important things <clears throat> about the storyline and about <laughs> uh, his state of mind. Uh, and then the the female role, um, the the woman in the movie, just she absolutely blew me away. And I didn't realize that she was going to vanish halfway through the movie or whatever it is. But I was absolutely captivated by that character which I think is what you're, is supposed to happen. I think you're supposed to be like fascinated by this like manic depressive pixie dream girl. <laughs> that was her um, first movie too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so she makes this huge impact, and then she's gone. And it was about the time that she disappeared that I got really confused. Like, did I miss something major here? Or are they just not telling me? And it turned out they just aren't telling me uh, what's happening here. So that's kind of my my general first impression of it. Um, Nathan, why did you subject us to burning? (laughs) Well, I mean, so I saw this in the theater, and this is literally the first time I've seen it since the theater. Um, And so much like Josh and uh, Aaron kind of said, I... I wanted to talk about it, and quite frankly, I wanted to revisit it because it had been a long time since I'd seen it. And I remember just walking out of the theater, and, and my impression this this movie left an impression on me to the point where, like a week or two weeks later, I was still thinking about it, and it kept coming up in my thoughts. and And it's it's yes, it's a very slow. It's not a slog. I mean, it's very deliberate in what it's doing. In fact, when, I'll be honest with you, when I saw it, I knew it was going to be a long movie. I didn't think it was it really felt as long as it was when i watched it in the theater um i kind of felt like there's just a lot of a lot of little subtleties to it that it's it's kind of hard to process just in one sitting i can totally understand why aaron would want to give it another run um this time i it held up really well for me i think my biggest fear with throwing it out at this group was uh you know i didn't know if i was maybe living in a dream and I just love this movie and no one else would, but I was curious to see what other people would think of it. I knew it was worth discussing though. Cause I, it, it, it just, there's so many intricacies in this movie. The script just does such a great job of like constantly rechecking itself. Um, little conversations that happen in the first part of the movie end up being important in the later part of the movie and, and kind of, and I think the other piece of it, and you kind of, I talked about it, I think a little bit, uh, Dale, was it feels like you're getting an edited version of something. So it's always, you know, important to kind of recognize that, well, there was a lot more to these relationships than maybe the five minutes here and the five minutes there you're getting from the conversations. So what clues were out there that you couldn't even see because they edited them all out? Yeah, and I I like that about it is that it's it's it it lets you kind of lo- explore your potentials of what it could have been. Well, before we get into like filling in the pieces and the gaps, um, for those of you, the two of you that watched it twice, 
um, do the last like 30 minutes of the movie still hold up on a second viewing or is it, are you bored by then? Because you know what's going to happen. I was captivated through the whole thing, both times. Like the, the movie just kept drawing me in and, and you mentioned it. The, the, the female character makes such an impact on you that when she disappears, you feel the loss. And you're just like, yeah. I need to know what happened. And, and it just kept me right there the second time. Yeah, I talked about on I Blue Ruin how um, the third act of that movie I found to be less interesting on subsequent viewings just because there's nothing new to reveal. You're just kind of waiting for the final scene to happen. But I can see where that wouldn't necessarily be the case here. I think because the, the, the takeaway that you're supposed to get out of this movie is so abstract, I think even watching it that second time, you're still kind of looking for clues, even all the way to the final scene of like, okay, what what's really going on here? I mean, is Steven Ewan just a guy that's a little creepy and or is there a lot more to him? Or is it really nothing to do with him and it's just the main guy? I I don't know that this will keep my attention, say, two, three weeks from now. Um, mainly because... Like now that we're discussing it, I can get y'all's viewpoint, mix it with mine, and, and kind of get everything out of my system. But watching it a second time without having talked to anybody about it, I'm just in, I'm stuck in my own thoughts, and it just like it, it kept me the entire time. So I'm not um, up on my. William Faulkner, who can give me a crash course in what that's about? I, I can. <laughs> if, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this, so this movie was based on two short stories, both called Barn Burning, one by Murakami and one by William Faulkner. And the Murakami one is about the love triangle that's in the movie, essentially, with the, you know, uh, two guys and the one girl and the, you know, all vying for her. But Barn Burning by Faulkner is about class warfare and about how uh, this kid looks at his father who burns down rich people's barns as revenge for being like a poor person. So uh, you got that they kind of smush those two ideas together to make a relationship movie inside a class warfare movie, um, which I thought paid off in multiple ways. Like as you watch, well, there's it. a scene um, in the in the cafe towards about the hour 40 minute mark where Ben's reading a Faulkner book, isn't he? Right. Yeah. He's reading like a collection. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I asked. I studied some Faulkner. I have a degree in English. So of course that's going to be part of what you study. And I could definitely pick up on that. I didn't read that short story. I've read some other Faulkner so I could get that feeling behind it. Um, but I, I I liked a lot of that the literature stuff. I totally got the social class war stuff, and I think that's a huge thing in Korean film 
in general, I guess, probably within the last few years. I haven't watched a lot of Korean films, but I, I will say that I I like how they do that. I think they do that better than American films and probably a lot of other, you know, stuff that's made in a similar fashion. Um, but I think, again, that's a very distinct cultural thing for South Korea um, that is so important to them. And the uh, the idea of pride coming back up constantly um, you know, and, and taking pride in this and that and who you are and where you come from and what you've done. You know, I love the him being asked, like, did you go to the military? Did you finish college? Like these, these, these things that you have to do in their culture, like that's not a cultural thing necessarily in, um, America, you know, United States culture. Um, but it's so distinct in South Korean culture that it makes a big difference in terms of your social economic status. So that was, there, there, there's like little things that I liked about this movie that weren't the overall essence of the movie. <laughs> so there was a bunch of things that I picked up on um, that I kind of thought about a little bit as it was going and a lot more after it was over. Um, so to me, the class, the class discussion is the comparison between Jiangsu and Ben you know, Steven Yen's character and the main character, um, where, you know, Ben is wealthy, can travel anytime he wants to. Um, they talk about him being a Gatsby at some point, that kind of thing. Um, and something that struck me as interesting is that the only reason that the two of them ever have a reason to interact is because of Hamey. So she's sort of this weird because she's not only part of that class system overall, but then she's in this, this subclass of the subclass, which is a woman, right? Cause women have it worse than men do in whatever class they're in. And so her character is, is basically just, she she she's like her whole being is just this archetype of she can't get satisfaction from um being herself she wants to disappear into the sunset she tries to find meaning in this spiritual thing that's going on in africa and she like misses the whole point about it and can't really explain it to anybody like everybody laughs at her for it and so she she can't escape from her sort of pigeonholed uh, place in all of this. But then once she's gone, it's almost like the main character just has to come up with a rationale for why Ben was the one that, that did something to her and he has to kill Ben. And sure there's, you know, the movie shows us bits and pieces of evidence, like the watch that he gave her is, in Ben's house with a bunch of other uh, like women's accessories that don't, you know, obviously don't belong to Ben. Um, and then there's the whole thing about uh, the cat answering to the name Boyle, which if you know anything about cats, that doesn't mean anything, but the movie wants you to think it means something. Um, <laughs> but the, I thought all that was interesting. But they also throw in some ideas that maybe Ben was trying to help her reinvent herself somewhere else. Well, saving her is a big theme of the movie, right? Yeah. So 
she talks about being saved by Jiang Su as a child from the well, and that all she could see was that tiny circle of sky, and then he came and saved her from it. He doesn't remember this. Um, he tells her she's ugly. He doesn't remember that. But then we do see him like shame her for going topless that one time that she sort of just goes topless for no reason. So literally last thing she, he says to her. Yeah. So like that there's, you know, some suspicion you can throw at him that him that way. Um, but there's also some things with um, her looking for light, like the, the whole symbolism of all you can see from down in the well is the light from above the well. And then she also has that thing in her apartment where the only time it lights up in her apartment is when the reflection off the soul tower hits it for like a minute every day. And that's it. And it like shines a light in her closet, like in her tiny, the tiniest part of her tiny apartment. So like, I think because she's so condensed as a character because she has the least amount of screen time. I think there's more sort of clues per minute about what's going on with her than with the guys. And with Ben, I almost see him as just a stand in for the upper class snob that can get away with whatever he wants with wants to. And he's not even that big of a jerk in the movie. He's not really a jerk at all. He's like pretty polite and nice to everybody. Um, to the point where you're like, you know, why is he being nice? Like you're waiting for him to, you know, pull out a knife and kill Jong Su, but he doesn't. He's just like, Oh, I got a bunch of people coming over. Well, shouldn't you have a bunch of food here? Oh no, it's a potluck. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, I got to go use your bathroom. All right. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Does any of that strike a chord with you guys or am I just fishing? <laughs> well, so the with the the class division thing i kept viewing them you know as a triad of um you know wealth with ben and the lower class with jongsu and jaime is kind of she's trying to transition from her roots in that poor neighborhood up to where ben is but we know she can never get to where ben is um but like the way they all use their cell phones um like i just noticed in one shot uh Hongshu uses it as a GPS and he's never, it's always mounted on the dashboard um, of his dad's truck, but he doesn't actually use it most of the time to call people. Um, and then uh, Jaime has it in her hand and is like listlessly looking at it, but then Ben's actively using it. And there's just all these little differences between the three of them that set up this hierarchy of, um, you know, what social class they want to be in and which one they're actually in and which they aspire to. Isn't there, um, I'm trying to remember who it is now. Isn't there one character who's just like having a conversation on their cell phone while the other person's talking to them? Um, there's a, they're like texting when, uh, his, his mom. mom shows up, she's messing oh, yeah, with her phone, it. but she also, um, she kind of offhandedly corroborates the whale story because she mentions, oh, isn't she that girl with the whale? Yeah, and I I didn't pay much attention to that at the time because I was still under the assumption that um, all of this was some sort of big trick to get the farm away from Jiangsu. That, like, they were all in on it 
except for him and they were trying that was that was the plot of the movie in my head up until that point so well and they had that conversation well, where um they they mentioned that the the girl was flat busted and she had a ton of credit card debt so yeah. it would explain why she's trying to get away from her current life but that almost makes me feel like the mom the mom scene or the mom character was fiction because uh, that's what I meant. Sorry, Aaron. I, I'm pretty sure that Jung Soo actually asked the mom, "Do you remember the village where, in the middle of the village, where the well was on, or, or whatever?" He brings it up to the mom. She doesn't bring it up to him. She she does corroborate, but I agree with you there. But it makes me feel like it's not well, real. I, I <laughs> like remember he's writing a story. He wants to write fiction. Yeah, right. So that's like, that's what I was going to say big, too. A big chunk of this could be Fight Club. Well, well, that's what almost makes me feel like the ending's not real either. Well, and well, it yeah. does. There's a lot of like cutting from dreams to things, and then there's this the very end, right before you go into the whole murder scene. It's him writing, and then it pans back. So you could be seeing maybe if you watched it with that in mind, you could start to pick out what the director was trying to tell you, but. Maybe what they're trying to imply is that all the outlandish shit that you see is actually stuff that he's putting in the story, but may not have anything to do with reality of what's hap- actually happening. Yeah. Well, also, go ahead, Josh. Oh, sorry. You got cut off like Just, 30 times there, so I'm going to let you sorry in. about that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, sorry. So the uh, um, that scene where he's finally writing for the first time in uh, Jaime's apartment, and it zooms out that you were talking about, Nathan? Um, yeah. Uh, that's it's only after that we get a scene with Ben by himself. It's the first scene in the movie that Chong Su's not in at all. And so that's when I figured, oh, this is this is definitely him writing that. This is his starting to explain to himself how, you know, serial killer Ben works, even though, you know, I don't think serial killer Ben is particularly a real thing. Yeah, and, um, and Ben says to you, uh, I mean, Ask ask him what ask John what Su- John Sue what a metaphor is. Exactly. He'll be able to explain and it. He to never her. answers. He doesn't answer. Yeah, but it's 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 <laughs> almost like um, it, it's almost like the joke there is that she's the metaphor. Yep. Well, that's what when he starts talking about burning the greenhouses, I was like. Chong Su, don't go looking for a literal greenhouse, dumbass. Like yeah. he's he's a, he knows what metaphors are. He's probably using one right now. Well, because if you if yeah. you take her as a metaphor, and and you have this whole class thing going on, you know, somebody had said um, that she was trying to to move between classes. That she was trying to go from who she grew up as to potentially being, you know, in Ben's class. And one way of of writing that or or showing that would be that when we see her, she is the adult version of what she was as a girl. And as soon as she gets close with Ben, she's gone. Mm. Not because he killed her, but because that person's not there anymore. Yeah. She's she switched classes. So that character doesn't exist anymore. I like that. So I don't know if it's worth anything, but my take on him running around trying to find a burnt greenhouse was more about him trying to eliminate the thought that the subtext of what he was actually saying <laughs> was the, the 
was not real. In other words, the right, second he found it, himself, there really is. Well, in that in that right. cafe in that cafe scene, he he's still very confused by. It. He's like, I checked all the greenhouses and they're fine. He's like, Have you though? And <laughs> and then he says, Yeah, I've checked them all. Well, Ben keeps repeating. Also, have you checked them very near to your house? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's landing on pretty yeah, it's thick. It's like it's nearer than you think, <laughs> and and things like that. Then you have you have a couple other scenes that l- lend a bit of credence to the idea that Ben helps people reinvent themselves when it shows him that that scene where he answers the phone and then he go he grabs that case and goes and starts applying makeup on that one girl. But I think that's fictional scene. That's the one without Chong Su seeing it directly. So I feel yeah. like that's not real for some reason. Possibly. I I also think it uh, in another fashion of it, not necessarily not being fiction, but if it were real, uh, I was thinking the possibility that he is a human trafficker and that's how he has his money. And so maybe Jaime uh, is trafficked. And that's why she disappears. And that's why he has all those bracelets is that he does the same thing with the same women over and over and over again in sort of American psycho way. But instead of killing them, he traffics them. Yeah, See, I was thinking he drove them to suicide. That was my theory. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think it's more it's more uh, it, it, it's more theoretical than that, that it's, it's more like he he makes women he 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 makes low-class women disappear and replaces them with high-class women that we don't get to interact with because they're not part of our our universe anymore because our universe is defined by what jong su can see and and knows about and why does jong su kill him at the end it's like well they didn't tell us exactly what happened to him in the military um but maybe that's his only the only thing he can think of to deal with the rich or to get revenge for taking Jaime away from him. Well, he's got his dad's anger in him and his dad's knife collection. And that's always the bomb inside him waiting to go off. It seems like. Yeah. And the whole, the whole case with his dad, like I, I have to watch it again to understand what the hell was going on there. Like I, I don't get it. The whole, the whole sub story uh, with the calf. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't the calf. There was a, a government worker who showed up to the farm to make sure that they were complying with whatever, and the dad got pissed off and hit broke a chair over the person and injured them till they had to be rehabilitated for six weeks. Yeah, he like broke that's, somebody's that's hand. That's why he got. But like they they end cap the movie with it, so there's like yeah. they read the charges out and then they sentence them at the end of the movie. And I don't have a real good good feel for what anybody's feelings are but, about any of it. But and the dad's done it before because they said that this okay. is a reoccurring thing. Um, you know, so we 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 basically the judge was like, "We've been here before. We agree that this is the proper punishment for this type of behavior. Eighteen months in jail um, for striking a civil servant." So it's just part of his his low class rage against. The establishment, yeah, I think that's yeah, that's what I'm getting. From and it. so, yeah. father and son sort of have that in common, right? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, he literally uses his dad's knife at the end. Right. That safe full of knives, yeah. Um, sorry. He takes all his clothes off. Mm-hmm. Remember, his but dad made him burn his mom's clothes. So, yeah, that's, the burning yeah. of the clothes, yeah. Also, I think what's her name? She what, she like takes her all her clothes off the first time they have sex, uh, but he doesn't take all of his clothes off. Oh, Amy. He takes most of his clothes off. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's they have a weird. Their sex scene is so weird, very weird. <laughs> like she's just kind of staring straight ahead and like kind of bored looking, and he's like, he like doesn't look. He looks like he doesn't know what he, what to do. <laughs> and then they stop and they put a condom on and then they go back to like that same weird energy. <laughs> and he, he looks at what? the uh, sunspot on the wall and then he comes back and masturbates to it later because why not? Yeah. Twice he comes back yeah. and masturbates to it. <laughs> and then he has the dreamy yeah, but- hand job, so maybe three times? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something else yeah. about him that I noticed is that he likes to sing to animals. He likes to sing songs about animals, specifically <laughs> their poop. <laughs> He's always shoveling some animal shit. Yeah, during the handjob dream, his his pants are down like they are in the handjob dream, which I thought was interesting. Like, oh, you just you just sleep with your ass hanging out. That's cool. Well, like <laughs> another thing about that scene is she's big spoon, like. <laughs> Like she, she's well, cra- yeah, she's cradling him and giving him a reach around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if those are. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much uh, edible stuff there is in South Korean cinema, but I wonder if that's some sort of a of a mom thing. Like he didn't get enough of his mom growing up well isn't it like right after that scene he gets a call from a woman and she's like yeah. is this jung su yeah it's, it is. it's mom like <laughs> i think it's while he's masturbating his mom calls him <laughs> that would that be yes. the way that's how it always goes yep. right yeah yep. God damn. Your mom. <laughs> mom you're ruining this the, the sun is about to strike the soul tower and i've got to come can i call you back <laughs> What did you guys make of the uh, the phone calls he kept receiving? Because that, to me, after even after watching it the second time, that's like one of the few things in the movies that stood out. It was like I'm not sure what I was supposed to get out of that. So exactly. remind me of those. Well, he it they happen they it calls his landline. Like he's listening to that story about Trump, and he's doing some housework. And there's another time when it wakes him up in the middle of the night, all at his dad's place. And then finally it happens and it calls his cell phone and he picks it up. Um, but it's all just like nothing on the other line. Then he, he finally just says, why, why do you call and you don't want to talk? I don't get it. And, and so I, I don't know if you're supposed to think that that's um, Lee or if it's supposed to be his mom or maybe I thought that was dad. supposed to be his dad, like calling from jail okay. and then not having anything to say. Yeah, I think you could interpret it as maybe it was Lee. Like even the ones, the times he calls or the, the times the phone rings before he have even met Lee, it could be him. If Who's he, Lee? Or, oh, I'm sorry, Ben. Ben, Ben, Ben. That's who I mean. I'm looking at the last name of John. So Sue you on, think Ben is, <laughs> ben is calling I him it, and not saying anything? 
maybe to check him out or to, to freak him out or something. Because that doesn't I don't seem know. like Ben at all. Ben is always confident. He always knows what's going on, and he's always nice and polite to everybody. But with well, and the other thing is nobody knows Hong Su's there at the beginning. Like he's oh, just true. come back to his dad's house, so they're trying to call his dad for a while. It seems well, like. well, Lomin knows she's she's there because he said I have to. She's like, "What's with the bags?" And he's like, "Oh, I have to go because there's always something that's come up or whatever." So yeah. I thought it was. I could have thought it could have been her. I mean, okay, so there's a bunch of there are connections between his mom and Jaime too. Like they're both badly in debt. They Jaime. both remember the well. Um, Stuff like that. So I, I was wondering if that phone call is just a one of those like Dale was saying, like an Oedipal, um combination of like uh, someone reaching out to him and not talking and like not communicating. Um, seems to be a running theme with the women in his life. Yeah, but, I think the well is is connected to women in this movie. That that the well is a a a metaphor for. Um, the even more limited op- opportunities that women have that they only have a portion of the sky that they have access to access to and only through this small opening above them. That's the only way that they can get there. You know, so whether you take that to be the fact that the only way that um, Jaime can become upper class is to marry Ben, you know, sort of thing. Like that's that would be an example of it. Um, yeah, there there was some weird stuff going on with the phone and like that weird tone that comes between messages that just went on for like ten minutes. Like it just kept playing that tone, and there'd be silence, and they'd play the tone again, and there'd be more silence. Like someone just kept leaving well, messages. Ne- well, I've never known of also a phone service that would be like tell you this phone has been shut off please leave yeah. a message and you're like but if the phone is shut off <laughs> oh, there's one that just said this phone is turned off yeah but then about right after that it says please leave a message i swear i know no, but but tur- but not shut off turned off that's what i'm talking just, about that's it. yeah it the, the 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 provider says this phone has been turned off please leave a message that seems so weird right yeah I'm saying I'm saying the, the line hasn't been shut down. Someone just turned powered the phone down, which is weird that they, they would tell them that. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't yeah. ever say that because it it doesn't know. It just can't find the phone. That's all it knows. <laughs> that's how cell phones work. Well, and maybe that's our one of our many many clues that he's imagining or writing or just even he's just a really poor untrustworthy narrator whatever they call that yeah reliable unreliable thank you yeah i think he's unreliable as a narrator um and as a protagonist and i think you know the little the clues like you know when she asks what's a metaphor and ben says ask the protagonist what a metaphor what the metaphor is because he's the one who knows it's like yeah that we're we're watching a metaphorical story we're not watching a literal story take place <laughs> his name is Tyler Durden <laughs> <laughs> I was going to call him Arthur Fleck <laughs> so uh, who would re- we uh, who would we recommend this movie to uh, 
is this is this a good like if you liked Parasite you'll like kind of movie? Because um, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Yeah, I would agree. I think Parasite's I would say more accessible. I, um, yeah, I mean this is another good Korean film. Um, so from that perspective, but uh, I think it's a little bit more of a of an art crowd movie than Parasite is. Yeah, I think people who are okay with ambiguity are more likely to like this than people who want a solid, you know, ABC narrative, um, concrete resolution, and all the questions are answered. Like David Lynch fans would probably like this. Yeah, I agree with that. I would I would suggest yeah. this to people who who like movies like. Hereditary and Midsummer and things like that. There's Inception. not much of a horror aspect to it. True, but it's the the ambiguity of it, like you were saying, it it it's in that same vein. Yeah. It does have a kind of anything can happen vibe to it as well. I watched Midsummer in the theaters, and I'm looking forward to watching the extended version because I loved that kind of a slow burn. So that's that, that's a different story, though. <laughs> I think I think the main thing is you have to be prepared to come at it from a, you know, almost like a I'm going to sit down and watch a long Kubrick movie kind of thing or a David Lynch kind of thing because it's it's definitely got a pace to it that's not typical of what we usually see and. Unless you're like grounded and ready to ready to take it in, it might be. This is not a movie to put on when you're distracted by your kids or whatever else is going on in your life. You need to like turn the lights out, watch the movie. Well, no, and for most of our audience, it's also a foreign language film, so you can't really tune out a movie with subtitles anyway. Yeah, yeah. You're either watching it or you're not. Could you could you imagine this movie dubbed? (laughs) <laughs> I think we should do a dub I, for it. Hundred percent. I'm in. I, What's I would up, only Tiger hope Lily? that I'll be high. Yeah, me. I would only hope that uh, Stephen Yoon would actually dub himself. If if you're gonna be high, me, you have to be like uh, in Kung Pao into the fist. Just yeah. <laughs> and then they started dancing, and then they went wee wee. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it, guys. Thank you uh, for joining me for this discussion of burning. We will see you on the next episode of the Deeply Discussing Podcast.